الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم My brothers and sisters, today I want to make a short lecture, but inshallah it's powerful. And then I'm going to leave some time for questions and answers from the audience. And we also have a uh, lovely brother of ours who's going to say the shahada, so I'm going to give him time a little bit before the Isha. And after the Isha, please excuse me, I also have another sister upstairs will be waiting. I promised her that we'll meet with her friends also to say the shahada. So whoever does want to see me straight after the Isha, please excuse me just for a few minutes. And I'll be back, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Today or tonight, I've called it Lessons from Gaza. And the lessons that I want to talk to you about are not political. I'm not going to go into politics and my views about world politics and leaders. That's not my area. And many people who are greater experts than me and more articulate have already spoken about it tremendously. But I want to talk about what directly benefits us, you and me, living away from the whole turmoil over there. And nothing happens in this world without a wisdom. And Allah has created on this earth laws and nature which doesn't change. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives promise of victory all the time for those who stand by him. However, the problem is that people don't understand what that means. They want immediate results. And a lot of us didn't even know the name Gaza before October. Some of us didn't even know what it was. And we want to change the world in a few months, suddenly. It requires preparation. And there is justice and injustice everywhere. And there has always been injustice throughout this world. When we look at Gaza, or Palestine, it's not the only place that we see these atrocities happen, although it is the greatest right now and the most immediate. We see it happening with our other brothers and sisters, the Yughurs, who are still in concentration camps, the Ozbeks. We see it happening in Sudan. It's happened before. And before I talk about the lessons from the people of Gaza, let's first of all look at something very important. If you look throughout history of this world, you will find from an Islamic history that people, innocent people have been treated unjustly and many killings and deaths have happened before. We can go all the way back to the time of the children of Israel. The children of Israel are the children of Prophet Yaqub They were believers, they were Muslims. Muslim means submitters and surrenders to Allah and the prophets that came to them with the message. Among them were Prophets Yusuf Dawood, Sulaiman, Isa Musa, Harun All of them. And they entered and had a kingdom in Jerusalem and the entire area, they were true believers. And the Persians and Romans came in when they corrupted. They started following, some of them, aspects of idolatry, compromising their own religion and the Torah and the message that came to them. And so Allah says in the Quran, 
بعثنا عليكم عبادا لنا أولي بأس شديد فجاسوا خلال الديار وكان وعدا مفعولا We sent upon you servants of ours who were strong in power and overpowered you and destroyed what you had built and the promise of your Lord is always going to be fulfilled. When a people corrupt, it's not long before Allah sends another people over them. So they were destroyed and lost. And then we find in the time of Muhammad in the battle of Uhud, the Muslims were told to stay on the mountain of the archers. And he said to them, do not come down off the hill. But they forgot. The worldly material took over. And they came off the hill to get their spoils of war. They were still new to Islam. They made a mistake. And a great massacre happened to the believers in Uhud. Among them is Muhammad, was Muhammad sallallahu we all know Hamza radiallahu anhu was killed and cut to pieces. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about this in many passages in the Quran when the Muslims themselves started to ask the same questions we ask right now. What happened? The victory of Allah. We're on the truth. The messenger of Allah is with us. The disbelievers are all corrupt and wrong and evil. And we had been less of an amount in battles before that. Yet, the battles before that, we weren't losers. We were victorious. And now we were double the amount. We have more artillery yet. We lost terribly. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replies by saying, Say, it was from yourselves. Meaning there are laws of nature that I have created. And that laws of, not just nature, but laws of victory, where you are equal to the enemy, then whoever's stronger will win. But if your taqwa and your piety is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, eventually the victory will come. And Allah gives us examples of people before. He says, and when they look at those who were before them, Allah says specifically in the Quran, Am hasibtum an jannata? Did you assume that you will enter paradise? And when the people, the stories of the people before you come to you, they went through hardships and afflictions until they got to the point to say, when is the victory of Allah? Even the messengers among them were asking. And Allah says, behold, the victory is, is near. It doesn't mean that we have to go through afflictions to win victory. And it doesn't mean we are belittling the hardships of anybody. But I'm getting to a point here of how a Muslim learns about this life and why we're here and where we're going and what's, what we're going to go through and how we're supposed to be patient and go through trials and tests and what we can learn. We find in the time of the Mongols, if you know the story of the Mongols, the Tatar, in the 12th century, when the great Qutuz, the commander, and Baybars al-Bunduktari, if you know these names, they were called Mamluks. They were initially slaves. And then they... Over time, these slaves became scholars and they became pious people. And it was just on paper, slaves, and they had masters. And the believing nation, the Muslims throughout the world, even the Khilafah, they were in the Khilafah. The strongest part was in Baghdad, in Iraq. We all know about the great library. And it was called the Golden Ages among the Westerners of the Muslims. Yet the Mongols came from nowhere. People who were completely away from civilization and almost wiped out the entire Muslim ummah. All of them. 
until only Egypt was left and this great commander Qutuz and Baybars, they had rivalry between each other. They made, they made a pact and they came together and fought together by the will of Allah with great and immense righteousness and they defeated the enemy in Gaza first. There was a small group. They defeated them in Gaza and then they defeated them in Ain Jalut. Ain Jalut is where Dawood defeated Goliath. It is in a place today on the borders of occupied Palestine in the Kaputs, somewhere around there. That was Ain Jalut was around that area. And the Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them, there were billions, tens of millions of Muslims that were massacred. In fact, there were skulls that were made into mountains and hills from their slaughter and massacre. But the Muslims persevered and kept going. And then came the time of Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi, where the Crusaders saw a weakness in Muslims. And they entered at the time after Umar al-Khattab had entered into Jerusalem and welcomed the Christians and Jews. Then after time, the Crusades made a conquest or, or a, an attack, not a conquest, an attack we call it, on the Muslims inside of Jerusalem just before Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi, when the sultans of the Muslims in the Muslim world were engaged in corruption. The sultans were drinking alcohol. They were allowing their people to indulge in this corruption. Adultery and fornication was spread. And wealth was being distributed unjustly. And there was injustice and imbalance while the Khalifa was there. And a man by the name of Nur al-Din Zangi, a commander, a great righteous commander, tried to stop all this. And he gathered an army. And the Muslims actually donated tenfolds of what they used to give to the Khilafah, to the Muslim society, the community. And they gathered military and arms, and still they lost. They couldn't enter Jerusalem and take it over from the Crusades in the, 11th, the 12th century, in 1099, sorry. Until Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi came along and made a big, big change within the Muslim community. And truly he abolished the corruption, abolished the selling of alcohol and the drinking of wine and adultery, fornication, and injustice with the wealth and distribution until the Muslims returned. He gathered that army and he entered by the will of Allah with righteousness and Allah gave him victory after nearly 100 years. Do you know in that 100 years, not only were there no Muslims inside of Jerusalem and Palestine, there weren't even any Jews because the Crusaders killed them, massacred, and massacred more Muslims than ever before and more Jews than ever before. And they put the cross on top of the Dome of the Rock. Can you imagine the big, massive cross on top of the Dome of the Rock? That gold one? And they turned Masjid Al-Aqsa, the one in front, into a livestock uh, place where they left pigs and feces inside of Masjid Al-Aqsa. No Salat, no Adhan, no Quran in the entire place. Do you want it worse than that? Yet, the Muslims didn't give up and it was about their righteousness until they came back. And then finally, at the end of the Ottoman Empire when it fell, and the British Mandate came in, and these people came in and took over uh, by force and forged their way in and stole the lands and homes of its indigenous people. What happened? Again, we are back where we started. And to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all decree and command. Here is the thing, brothers and sisters. You look at the history and you see, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, days are only numbered. And how do we look at this entire world? A Muslim learns from the people of Gaza the following. Number one, we find that unlike us, they don't lose hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and inshallah we don't either. And I am extremely proud of the generation that has come up, some religious, some not, some believers, some not even Muslims, some following different ideologies, but at least there is a sense of justice in the world that has woken up and an awareness that didn't exist before. Allah works in mysterious ways. But we find that there were people who questioned, where is God? What is this religion, Islam of yours? It didn't do you any good because they're thinking in the temporary, in the temporary sight. And Allah says in the Quran always about people who don't believe in the hereafter. They say, he says, Allah says these people, the disbelievers and the enemies and the oppressors, those who reject Allah's words in Quran and hereafter, they love this immediate life. All their effort and all their work, all their ambitions and all their goals and all their measuring of success and failure, of superiority or inferiority, of strength or weakness, all of that is based on just this immediate temporary world. That's as far as it goes. Allah then says, and they leave behind them, they ignore a grave day that is coming. A grave day that is coming. As believers and Muslims, alhamdulillah, this is the secret. This is the secret. Had we looked at this world as the beginning and end and that's it and we die and turn into soil and there is no resurrection and nothing after here, then we will also be dead in our hearts and the same as everyone else who has no other purpose who has no other belief, and that's it. Just haphazard, accidents, just like the animals, but we have just a slightly better brain living on this earth for no purpose and no reason and no end. Yet we find that the Muslims and even some of the Christians who live in Gaza because Christians, practicing Christians, they do have faith in God and they do have similarities of the hereafter, so there is some similarity, but the Muslims are even beyond. Even higher, because we have a Qur'an with us that is unchanged. And we have a messenger of Allah, Muhammad who came to confirm the scriptures that were before. And we as Muslims are more firm on our, on our belief and truth because we follow Muhammad we follow Jesus Christ, we follow Moses, we follow Abraham, we follow them all until Noah and, and Prophet Adam. All of them called for the same thing and all of them came from the same God. And each one came with a scripture from God. They, the people altered it until finally the Qur'an was the final to confirm the scriptures that came before. My brothers and sisters, these Muslims in Gaza, to them, they feel that they are equal or they feel a connection, not equal, sorry, they feel a connection to the prophets and messengers. The prophets and messengers, every single one of them went through hardships. For example, the hunger that they went through for days and weeks cannot be described. And when we look at Prophet Muhammad وسلم, they know we find Muhammad وسلم, Umar al-Khattab describes him one time. He says, I saw him walking with a bent back and sitting under the shade out of exhaustion 
while I saw that on his stomach it looked like it was stuck to his back at one time and he had rocks tied to it out of hunger. Sallallahu alayhi wa the best man to walk the earth. And these people, they find themselves hungry and associated with the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and all the prophets. Hunger is not a loss to them. They have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they are able to face calamities because of that hope, because of that belief in the hereafter. Listen to this journalist, which you all have heard of by now, and anyone who doesn't know him should really go and research and know. He is a hero among journalists. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve him, reward him for his patience. Our brother, his name is Wa'il Dahdouh, if you've heard of him. And you'll see an interview of his in which caught my attention. And the interviewer asks him, describe the hardship. How was it? And how, what is the secret with you people being able to persevere and stand in the face of such atrocities and hardships? And he replies by saying, yes, we went through extremely, extremely painful times. Very, very hard times are still going through it. And it is forbidden for anyone to minimize our pain and struggles and to think that it is nothing or to think of it in a light manner. He says some people were strong enough and some people were not able to withhold this terrible and ha- terrible hardship. Some turned and some kept going, each to the level of strength they could endure. Then he said, but the secret, the ultimate secret to any hardships and calamities that befalls you is nothing but two things. Number one, to accept it. To accept it and have something called in, in, in Islam, rida. I accept it and I am wholeheartedly at peace with what has happened. It's painful, but I'm at peace with it. And number two, he said, and to anticipate its reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, he believes in the hereafter. He believes that this world is temporary and it will end. There's only a short time left, but Allah does not let any pain, grievance, any hardship, any loss, anything in this world except that he compensates you. He says, because any other choice will be a choice which kills, destroys, excruciatingly painful, terribly difficult and severely bitter. And know that Allah's plan and decree will happen and nothing can stop it. No, he says, be patient, persevere, anticipate its reward from Allah and give up all matters to Allah. The day to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our Lord, and say, our Lord, we only ask you acceptance of our patience and struggles. Anything other than that is going to destroy you. What else can you do? Rida and ihtisab and Allah. You accept it and you wait, anticipate the reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My dear brothers and sisters, once upon a time, the Prophet, peace be upon him, grabbed one of his companions, I think it was Mu'adh or another one, by his shoulder. He shook it and said to him, Kun fi dunya ka'annaka gharib, aw abiru sabil, wa'udda nafsaka min ahli al-qubur. He said, Live in this world as if you are a stranger or a wayfarer, someone passing by, and always count yourself already from among the people of the graves. Death is round the corner. It's not to despair us. But what does it do? It calls us, it calls us 
to act in righteousness and to not waste our time and to better our worship before the time comes. Ibn Umar anhu says, Once the evening comes, don't just sit there waiting for the morning. And if the morning comes, don't sit there waiting for the evening. And take from your health so that you can use it. Uh, take from your health before the time of sickness arrives and from your life before your death arrives. What is he saying? He is saying, don't say, I will procrastinate and leave the work of the morning till the evening. No, you re utilize your, your morning for righteousness. And don't say when the evening comes and the morning I'll do it. No, utilize the night because Allah had given it to you. And he says to you, don't worry, I'm still healthy. I've got a long life to live. No, one day you are going to be sick and ill. So use your health before your illness. And he said, don't say I've got a long life. Use your life that you are living before your death comes. So a Muslim continues like that. This is the secret for these believers. A man came to the Prophet وسلم, and said, Ya Rasulullah, show me an action that if I do it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love me. And also, people will love me. An act which Allah will love me, and people will love me. Because we always get the idea that if Allah loves you, you're going to lose people. And if you make people love you, Allah may not love you. No, no, there is a way to make Allah love you. To earn Allah's love and to earn people's love. The Prophet said, Be an ascetic to this world. Don't look at this world as everything for you. Put it secondary and behind your back. Allah will love you. And also, don't look at people's belongings and what they have. Don't look at it as anything that you are groveling over. And the people will love you. They're like a humble person. And so, Rasul is telling us how to look at this life and what kind of a life we live and what we are anticipating. The hereafter, when it comes, it is eternal. And on that day, there will be people who will look at others who suffer tremendously in this world. And they will say, we wish that we could have come back to this world and be cut up with a scissors bit by bit from what they see of glory and rewards and amazing, tremendous honor these people who went through suffering are given in the hereafter. You see, brothers and sisters, many of these people, they see themselves like what the Prophet ﷺ went through. And you see, these believers, they, don't, they look at this world as a place of worship and righteous deeds. And they harvest and reap the rewards in the hereafter, not here. They're not looking for it here. They don't expect much from this world. And their hearts are attached to the hereafter. And when a believer reflects on the temporary nature of this world and the lowly nature of this worldly life, and that everything comes to an end and perishes, it will lead them to, straight, to straightedness, a straight path, and diligence in doing their righteous work. My brothers and sisters, the people of Gaza have given up on this world and given up on anyone to come to their aid except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why you hear them saying this strange statement, Hasbun Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Allah is sufficient for us and he is the best to rely upon. What does that mean? A lot of us misunderstand that. We think 
Allah is sufficient for us, meaning that he's going to give a victory against those who are oppressing us. That by relying on him soon, we're going to overpower. No, 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 no. That's not what he means. That's not what they mean. They mean we're not really looking for this world anymore. You and I are going to die anyway. In fact, from a hundred, in a hundred years from now, probably every single person on this earth who is living right now will be dead. So what's the point of, you know, feeling so sorry that this world went from you? They look forward to their hereafter. That's why they're happy. That's why they're smiling. Yes, they do cry. Yes, they are in agony, but then they smile again, like the palm tree. Rasul describes the believer like the palm tree. He said, be like the palm tree. The strongest wind comes to blow it, but it bends with the wind, and then it comes back straight. And it grows in very harsh deserts, yet its roots are very strong. It produces sweetness out of ruggedness, and it only gives goodness to everyone that passes, and it's evergreen. Resilience, no matter what. We learn in our luxury life that we are living here, that if they could do it, we have no excuses. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he reminds us and says, yes, take your nasib, take your provision from this world. Don't forget your provision from this world, enjoy. But don't let it enter your heart. Don't let it overcome you to the point where you compete for it, you hate for it, you love for it. It is the only compass which makes you happy or sad. It's a thing which makes you feel success or failure, that it's the only thing that makes you choose who your friends are and who is not based on worldly and material gain. No, 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 don't do that. That will destroy you. Make it secondary. Make it a pathway. The people of Gaza also, we learn from them, my brothers and sisters, that they do not see their losses as eternal losses. They see their children who have died after the pain and agony they went through, that there is still a hope from what Allah had told them. This Quran says, and the Prophet ﷺ says, that your children who you lost will be your intercessors on the Day of Judgment. You could have done the worst of things in this world, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make your children, just because He took them from you, or the oppressors killed them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took them back, temporarily, that they will be your intercessors. They'll be waiting for you at the doors of paradise. One man he used to enter the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ and hear his lectures, his durus, and his preaching and his teachings. And he had a young boy with him who was his son, who was about nine or ten years old. And he used to walk around and the companions loved his presence. He was so pleasant. And he used to smile. And then one day the man stopped coming to the masjid for a, for a few days. So the Prophet ﷺ asked about him. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, did you not hear his son died? His son passed away. Rasul was very sad for his loss and he went looking for him and found him. I think he was at the grave and he put his arm around him and said to him, what would you choose out of the following two options? That if I told you your son lives the whole life that you expect until he grows up and you die and you enjoy a temporary few years with him, or if I told you that from here on, when you die and you go to paradise, every door that you arrive, you will find your son waiting for you, refusing to enter without you. He said, Ya Rasulullah, the second one. He said, then that is yours. Fahiyalak. And that is why the proper peace be upon him also said in Sahih Muslim, this hadith, he said, 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مِنْ جَزَاءٍ أَوْ جَزَاءً إِذَا قَبَضْتُ صَفِيَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الدُّنْيَا ثُمَّ احْتَسَبَهُ إِلَّا الْجَنَّةِ He says, there isn't anything that I will give as a minimum reward for my believing servant, whom when I have taken back his beloved, close beloved, anyone who is close to you, could be your child, could be your spouse, could be your parent, could be your friend, could be your brother or your sister, anyone who is truly beloved to you in this world and close to you. And Allah says, I take them back. And then they anticipate the reward that I have in store for them. It means this is true belief. Because you are believing in the unseen, but through the Quran and his messengers, that's all. This is true belief in Allah and trust in him. And then you await for the reward from Allah. You know that he will not let you go without compensating you and rewarding you eternally. Allah says, the minimum I will give him is paradise. And Allah says in the Quran, or this, this is why, my brothers and sisters, we learn from the lessons of the people of Gaza and others, these great lessons, what is making them go on? Because they are anticipating and looking forward to an eternal abode, Allahu Akbar. What else are you going to look for once you die? We're all going to die. What else can you look for other than either that or hellfire? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ كَانَتْ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتُ الْفِرْدَوْسِ نُزُلًا خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا لَا يَبْغُونَ عَنْهَا حِوَلًا Allah says indeed, those who believed and did righteous deeds, they will be welcomed, they will be welcomed, all of them. They'll go to paradise, to Jannah, Jannah, the gardens, but the place they will be welcomed as guests will start in the highest place of paradise called Firdaus. Firdausi Nuzula, their hospitality, and there will be guests entering into Firdaus first. They'll be given everything there and then taken to their beautiful abodes. They will live in it forever and ever and ever and ever. And they will never be taken out or moved away from it. And in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa says when they enter it, the angels will enter from all doors of paradise. And they will say to them what? Their entrance is like this, brothers and sisters. May Allah make us among them. They enter and they hear singing music to the ears. By who? The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. By the angel Israfil, alayhi salam. The one who blows in the trumpet, ironically. And you'll enter with this beautiful sound. And amazing entrance. And then you see angels entering from all the doors of paradise. Do you know how many angels there are, brothers and sisters? Do you know how, much sand, how many sand grains there are on earth? Imagine. Can't count them. Did you know that the stars in the universe are more than the grains of sand on earth? More than the grains of sand on earth. And there are more angels than the stars in the universe. And that is why Rasulullah was walking one time and he heard the sky crackle and his companions heard it crackle. Rasulullah is a messenger of God. There were some miracles that happened in his time. And he said, The sky has crackled. And it is justifiable to accept that it would crackle. There isn't a palm span anywhere in the heavens. And there are seven heavens. Except that there is an angel standing, bowing, or prostrating. These angels, brothers and sisters, will enter into paradise, as Allah mentions in the Quran. And they will enter upon them from every door, from every gate. What will they be doing? They'll be smiling and greeting them and cheering with the following words. 
Salamun alaykum bima sabartum. Peace be upon you. Everlasting peace. No more turmoil. No more hardship. No more fear. No more pain. No more sadness. No more grief. No more loss. Nothing anymore. Salamun alaykum. Peace encompasses you forever. Bima sabartum. Because of your patience which you endured. Because of what? The patience which you endured. And this entire world is patience. Yes, this entire world is patience. This entire world is perseverance, my brothers and sisters. This entire world is nothing. It is built on hardship. It is built to break your heart. But there are those whose hearts, they find a paradise in there. And those who live on the outside and on the inside in misery. And so these people of Gaza are living in paradise here. And they're anticipating and waiting for their paradise in the hereafter. We learn from the people of Gaza in that going after this world and whether you are successful in gaining your land or not having your land or whether you are militarily stronger or not militarily stronger or whether you have the power or don't have the power, you have the aid or don't have the aid, all of that to them is only temporary and they say let them have it all. For us, we will endure it's either victory on earth while we're living or martyrdom, martyrdom and victory in the hereafter. Either way, we are happy, alhamdulillah. And when you watch them now, I saw a recent footage of aid coming into Gaza from Jordan and from other places. And the Muslims of, of Gaza, what they're doing, they're, they're jumping onto the sand, laughing, joking, rolling around, making fun of each other, bantering. And you think, subhanAllah, everything they went through, what is it that brings a smile to their face? My brothers and sisters, and now as Ramadan is coming, we have the opportunity to share and to feel a fraction of the hunger which they are going through and went through and the hunger of other oppressed people around the world. Just a little portion. And in that hunger, brothers and sisters, the point of that is to awaken the spirit, the soul and the hearts. For when a human being is experiences a time of weakness and an incapacitation or an inability, they humble themselves and their hearts become humbled from arrogance, from arrogance, from superiority complex, from distractions, and they will focus on the essentials. And they remember that they are just normal human beings like everyone else, whether you're rich or poor, powerful or weak, whether you're in Gaza or in Australia or in America or in uh, Mecca or in China or in wherever you are in Africa, anywhere in the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made everybody equal. We're all human beings. And your piety and taqwa is the only thing that, is, that makes you superior or better in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so in this Ramadan, brothers and sisters, our lessons from these lovely brothers and sisters, and lastly their perseverance and their resistance and their bravery and their courage all comes from their true iman that can never be matched whatsoever. And alhamdulillah, we continue this way. My brothers and sisters, this Ramadan that is coming, alhamdulillah, we know that the dua is stronger. So we must make dua for our brothers and sisters. Number two, our sadaqah is more rewarding. The Prophet, peace be upon him, used to give sadaqah in Ramadan more than any other month of the year. 
The Prophet, peace be upon him, used to increase in his good deeds in Ramadan more than any other time during the year. The lesson in Ramadan, insha'Allah, for all of us to practice, if there is only one lesson that I can mention, brothers and sisters, from our brothers and sisters in Gaza, is our togetherness, my brothers and sisters. And to remember that we are brothers and sisters. Stop, stop attacking one another if you are. Stop dividing from one another if you are. Stop using little insignificant worldly things that easily break you apart from your families, from your parents, from your brothers and sisters, from the people who deserve that your ties be connected. Stop making little, uh, you know, if you're a person who's sarcastic and throws criticism and puts other people down all the time, stop that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called us believers and brothers and sisters of one another. Let us now think about others before ourselves. Yes, I know that we should be breathing. Rasulullah said, make infaq, spend on yourself before your family even, because if you're not breathing, they can't breathe. But what I mean by putting others before ourselves, it means that when others are in need, not to be stingy and selfish and think, no, 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 I can't get, I can't spare this extra because my future may be poverty or I may need it in the future. No, no. Say to yourself, tomorrow is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's easy for us to donate, it's easy for us to make dua, it's easy for us to talk among each other about righteousness and piety and what our brothers and sisters are suffering and so on. My brothers and sisters, in this Ramadan, insha'Allah ta'ala, don't just focus on the rituals and the outside practices. Focus also on the spirit of why you are praying, why you are reading Qur'an, why you are giving sadaqah, why you are making dua. Why you are forgiving, why you have mercy, why you are humbling yourself. All of this, brothers and sisters. For hunger, someone asked me, they said, how does hunger and fasting take care of your anger? I said, it doesn't. Hunger doesn't make you less angry, it makes you more angry. But what it does is that you yourself, while you are hungry, you need to work on restraining yourself as much as you can. And if you are able to pass and minimize that, even with hunger, then afterwards, your strength will be felt, insha'Allah ta'ala. It's like resistance exercise. You go to the gym, you do heavy weights, you don't feel it now, you feel the pain now, but later you feel the results. Same with fasting, insha'Allah ta'ala. But of course, when you fast, you do it for the sake of Allah. There is nothing, nobody can enjoy worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without it being from the stem of their heart. Yani, if you think about the food and you think about the struggles, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you think about why, and you think about anticipating the reward, you think about what you're going to get out of it, then insha'Allah you are able to hit really far goals by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So my brothers and sisters, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this Sha'ban, this month, a month of acceptance for us. A month in which our hearts are guided and our deeds are accepted and our sins are forgiven and our unity is better. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this Ramadan yet another success for us in our hearts and souls and to change the state of our brothers and sisters from the terrible oppressive state they are in to peace and security, victory and unity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve the pain and struggles of our brothers and sisters everywhere around the world from what they are enduring and not let their pain go in vain. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not let your pain go in vain, my brothers and sisters, for each and every one of us here in the masjid around the world, each one has a story. I just came from a retreat in Sydney, subhanAllah, speaking one-on-one -on -one with a lot of our young brothers and sisters. And subhanAllah, everyone has a story. 
Everyone has something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, I won't say uh, making you suffer, I'll say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reinventing you, helping you to know yourself better, helping you to get stronger and learn from it. And, you know, what is it? Either you get rewarded for it, or you get sins forgiven because of your patience, or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a plan for you, or that it's a test for your hereafter, or that it's a mistake that you made which you are learning from. For a believer, everything is good. And nothing evil comes from Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not bring you any kind of harm if it's from Him, except if through that harm there is a blessing for you. So never look at suffering in a completely evil way. Yes, it's ugly. Yes, it's painful. But always know that suffering is temporary. And from it, inshallah ta'ala, by how you react to it and how you think of Allah, good and blessings will come from it without a doubt bi ta'ala. My brothers and sisters, I end with this. Uh, there is something I want to share with you, and that is uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters, they struggle. And I will tell you, subhanAllah, this one little piece of advice I gave to a friend. And I heard this from Shaykh Ibn Uthaymin, that if you do four things, then you are sure to have your provision and your wealth and your security in life taken care of. Number one is to not ignore the laws of cause and effect. So it's called asbab. To do what you can, to strive for what you can, to do what is necessary. But don't cling your heart to these laws. Just do what you can. That's number one. Number two, this is hard, to connect the ties of your family which has been severed. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Silatul uh, Rahim, Sila means to connect. And you don't connect something unless it's, unless it's severed. And obviously to continue it. So if it's severed because of a worldly reason, there's no real harm and it can be resolved, then you must resolve it. Your provision will increase, especially with your parents. So looking uh, dutiful to your parents, your provision is increased. So that was the third one. You're um, connecting your family ties and being dutiful to your parents. The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever wants their life to increase and to be filled with provision, goodness and security, then be dutiful to your parents. Number four is to not decide, don't decide the qadr on yourself. Don't say to yourself, uh, I think Allah has written for me to always fail. Don't say, my life, Allah has created it to just be filled with bad luck. Don't say, I'm jinxed forever. I'm the type which God has sentenced me to failure all my life. Allah must hate me. Khalas, I'm a bad person. This is you bringing Allah's qadr upon yourself in a way that you think it is. You've done this to yourself. But Allah didn't tell you that. He says, keep going. And do not say if and if and this and that, for this is from the shaitan. Continue. Don't sentence yourself to misery and failure. And keep looking forward, bi ta'ala. My brothers and sisters, pray in the night. Share your food. Spread your salam and greetings. Uh... Do whatever you can within your skills and resources for goodness which pleases Allah. 
For life and death is in the hands of Allah, and you and I don't know when we'll be here, and when will we be gone. Barakallahu layya wa lakum, wa sallallahu alayhi Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So insha'Allah, as I promised, we have about 20 minutes. I'll take any questions from the audience, and then insha'Allah we have, as we promised our brother, who will insha'Allah say the shahada before the Aisha. So is, does anybody have anything they would like to share or, or ask on their mind? It doesn't have to be relevant to what we said. And if I do know the answer, I will try. If not, inshallah, we'll research it. And if I don't know, I'll say I don't know. Tfaddal Habib. Uh, how do I encourage someone to pray? How do I encourage someone to pray? Habibi, there is no one way. You've got to use your creativity. Everybody has different moods and mindsets. So for me to tell you it's this way, you might try it, it might not work with that person. Before you encourage someone to pray, you need to first of all build a connection with them. You need to build a niceness and goodness and kindness with them. And when you are able, then, inshallah ta'ala, the best way is to avoid telling them in public. These are the things you can avoid, I'm just giving you principles. And secondly, just smile to them and share something with them and say, you know, subhanallah, one of the best things that I've ever done in my life, talk about yourself, is my salat. You know what I feel with it? I feel like this and I feel like that and I feel like that. I think sometimes when you talk about yourself and talk about the things that you've gained from something that you've done, usually people get a little bit interested and want to ask you because they don't feel like they're being put on the spot. I'm the type that doesn't like to put people on the spot. I like to be a bit passive and let them sort of come in and ask questions. And then if you find that they are getting closer, then you say to them, you know what, wallah, it would be amazing if you even tried it, wallahi. You know, try it. And even if you can't pray five times a day, start with, your, with one, then go to two, then go to three. And I promise you, there is a sweetness you feel that will never go away. I used to be like this. And alhamdulillah, Allah assisted me. So these are the types of things that you do to encourage them. With sweet talk, with good talk, with truthful talk, with non-invasive uh, imposing talk. You follow that method, insha'Allah ta'ala, and ask Allah to guide you and to help you in doing so. We had, uh, I saw, for example, some non-Muslims who were listening to a lot of the uh, wonderful, wonderful da'is and speakers online. And I saw one person who said, I am Catholic, but this person truly has guided me and I'm really interested in Islam and so on. And then someone replied, this is what not to do. <laughs> Some Muslim replied, says, keep listening to him, well done, and stop being ignorant. And may God guide you with a love heart. I mean, that's passive aggressive. And so the guy replied by saying, uh, no, 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 actually, I'm a practicing Catholic and I'm happy where I am, thank you. I don't want to go any further. So we moved him away rather than bring him closer. So use your words that would be applied to you if that you can you'll be able to accept them and inshallah then you'll encourage them if it doesn't work alhamdulillah someone else will be encouraged and you keep trying inshallah ta'ala at the end of the day we focus on ourselves even if we can't guide everyone and guidance is within the hands of allah there's a question and i put it on um... okay so we have a question I come from a Christian background, but would love to say the Shahada and revert back to Islam. What should I do 
to stop fearing my parents so as my sister would love to revert to Islam. MashaAllah. There's a lot of people who naturally fear changing because of their parents and family, especially the young ones, and that's understandable. However, I always say to them, it requires a bit of bravery and courage. That's all it takes. And when you have this bravery and courage, channels of your brain open up and allow you to speak well, and success will be given to you, inshallah. Sit down and ask Allah, even if you're still a Christian, call upon God with sincerity and say, Oh Allah, assist me and help me. Give me the courage and the bravery. Support me and help me. And allow me to have a way of my parents to love me and me love them. And then sit down with your parents once you've made that decision and you've made the shahada and kiss your parents, hug them and say to them how much you love them and ensure them about how much you would never leave them and always support them. Tell them everything that needs to be said of goodness that your parents love to hear from their child and say that you have been looking into Islam, and one of the things that, you don't have to tell them you became a Muslim, say, I, things that I loved about it is how much it emphasizes the bond of family and tells us to love our parents regardless of their religion. This will open up a door for you and them to talk and leave the fact that you converted or reverted to Islam a bit later if you see it's not the right time and slowly, slowly present it to them. I don't guarantee that you will not find some difficulty, hardship, even words that you might not like to hear. If you think that you're going to be in great danger, then obviously don't tell them now until you are in a safe place. And you can continue the way you are, if you are in danger that is, or you fear this danger, real danger, then no need to tell them. And you can continue to act the way you are, as if you're a Christian, but inside of you, you're a Muslim, and you continue to do your salat wherever you can until you are safe enough. But the majority of people who revert to Islam, alhamdulillah, do find a way with their parents. And I've seen parents even revert with them. And I've seen people where even if they don't, over time, their parents do appreciate them. And they say to them, you know, you've, you, you were worse before and now you're better. We can see a beautiful change in you. We were afraid that you might be a this or a that or that Islam will make you become this crazy fanatic person, but we're seeing a, a difference in you. You used to drink, but now you don't drink. You used to go out a lot. We never see you. Now we see you more. We feel a closeness and so on. So bit by bit, step by step, with courage, bravery, and seeking Allah's support, you will get there. Just take that first step. And we are here to assist you and help you as your community. You know where we are here in the mosque or any other mosque that is near you. Go to them if you're a sister then you'll have sisters over there who will support you. You'll find people who are like you, who were of a different faith and they converted or reverted. And you can share with them their journey and get ideas and advices from them. Don't do it alone. And if you're a brother, also go to your community. You'll find 
other brothers who also reverted and they will give you great ideas. I have many friends who reverted to Islam. Some of them went through tough times. Others of them went through ease. But all of them in the end found serenity and peace. And it got everything went along uh, at least to a workable um, to a workable uh, situation, alhamdulillah. You know, brothers and sisters, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect and to guide all of our brothers and sisters and all those who are thinking about Islam, those who want to return from their losthood and their sinful life. I ask Allah to give you the strength and to protect you, give you security and bravery. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pave your way to all that is goodness for you. Say Ameen. Any other questions? Yes. Brother is asking, so how do you uh, keep that that uh, motivation going and what you started in Ramadan? Because everybody starts praying and doing the best in Ramadan, but when they go, they get cold. Brother, first and foremost, this is the nature of humans. Humans, they get motivated and then they get demotivated. At times they get inspired, other times they don't. I mean, it's understandable you come into Ramadan, you've got an entire community all coming and doing something that you, you don't see all year, all together. How can you not feel your, your Iman inspired? But everyone who goes through Ramadan walks away from Ramadan with one or two things that they walk away with. There's always a benefit. Some go with more, others go with less. And the way to reap as much as you can from it is the way you enter it and the way you intend. So that usually the people who walk away with less from it are the people who, from the beginning, in the back of their mind, a subconscious mind, they're only really prepared for that month. And so they've already made the decision that after that month, they're going to let their hair down. So that was a decision they made. The idea about Ramadan is really just a course. It's not something that's going to bring some miraculous uh, divine intervention that comes into your heart. It's really up to you. But it helps you to feel and to go through it and practice. That is why Rasul when he told us to fast Ramadan in the hope that you may fear Allah, in the hope that you may be righteous and pious, even after that he said fast another six days of Shawwal, for example. And then of every month, fast three days, 13th, 14th, and 15th, for example. If you've started something, make the intention that I'm going to continue this one or two thing. And inshallah, next week I'm going to talk about Ramadan and all of what you said. But just in a nutshell, the companions, for example, when the Ramadan arrived about six months earlier, they were preparing. So they would start to fast certain days and they would increase in some of the things they do. So Ramadan itself by itself is good for the moment. But if you don't have that intention, that zeal and that plan, that you are going to continue and you're going to take away one or two things from there to continue them and you're going to be determined with it, you're not going to find it. Really, it was up to you and I. And it's very natural for the iman to rise and fall. Umar al-Khattab gives us a nice beautiful formula. He says, when you feel your iman is high, usually it's because of some actions that you've changed around in your life or some sins which you've uh, uh, taken away or you've, you've repented from or because of some good company that's been around you. When this happens to your iman rises something subtly hits you. And he said, increase in your good deeds when your iman is high. Utilize it, utilize it, because it has an effect on your heart. Because the Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, each sin is like a dot that has been, uh, uh, that has been carved or, or, or pricked into your heart. Dot by dot by dot by dot. So there's always a little dot that is into every sin. And when you do a good deed, the dot gets 
uh, taken away. So the more we do good deeds in the times where iman are high, the cleaner we feel our hearts. And when we are on a low iman, he said, at least be determined not to abandon your compulsory acts. This is the absolute minimum. Make that determination. So there is a determination from us. It's, I'll give you an example. Think about anything in life that we are determined to do and we want results from. Let's say, I gave the example for the gym, for example. Or let's say you want to go on a diet. Or let's say you want to, inshallah, you say to yourself, this year, I am going to... Uh, build my skills and I'm going to study and then I'm going to apply to this job and that job and I'm, or I'm going to build a business or I'm going to plan for this or for that, whatever it is. We manage to get through it when we put our mind to it. And same with Ramadan. If we put our mind to it and make determination. I'll give you an example about myself. This is actually on a podcast I did. You probably find it on social media as well. But I'll, I'll share it with you. That on um, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I used to cut my prayers on and off, on and off. Ramadan would come, everything was amazing, and then cut them off. Because I wasn't determined after Ramadan to do it. And it's called procrastination, right? Procrastination means you only act on urgency. So long as there's no urgency, you don't do anything. And that's the majority of people these days, unfortunately, I have to say a lot of Muslims do that too, reactionary, and act on urgency. That is never going to make you improve. What you've got to do is take a step back and start way earlier. So I used to say to myself, inshallah, tomorrow I'll start my five daily prayers. So I'd get up, I pray the Fajr, for example, I'd miss the Dhuhr. Say, ah, that's not good. I've got to get it all nicely in a good pattern. I'll start on Monday. It's the weekend anyway. Have fun. Monday, start fresh. Monday, Tuesday, you know, start of the week. And then I'd, Monday would come. I'd go to Tuesday. I'd miss a prayer and say, hmm, I ruined the week. I intended for the week, so the week is all gone. I better start the next week fresh. All of this is just procrastination and thoughts that go through our heads. For everything, really. The day that I said to myself uh, to... Just stop fiddling around and stop mucking around and stop playing games with my, with, with my head and my own uh, thoughts. I said to myself, right now you're going to do it. You are going to do it right now, otherwise you're a loser. So right there and then I said, now. The next prayer, now. The third prayer, now. The determination helped me. So everyone says, I hope you got a brief point about what I'm saying, inshallah.